Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning again. Originally, I was not supposed to preach today. Mark Altrogi was going to preach, um, but he, he's not able to be here today, and uh, uh, he's recovering from a small surgery, and we're just praying for him. And so he's, he's well, all's well, um, and he'll be back uh, preaching in a few weeks. Um, but I have one more announcement before we jump into the book of Mark. Uh, this is a class that I want you guys to, to know about. I'm very excited about. This is actually a class that Mark is going to be teaching, and it's a daytime class beginning February 11th at 10 a.m. This will be a six-week class on the attributes of God, which are the characteristics of God. What is God like? Um, A.W. Pink, a theologian, wrote, The foundation of all true knowledge of God must be a clear mental apprehension of His perfections as revealed in Holy Scripture. An unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. So the first part might have been a little confusing. The idea is the more we know about God, the more we can worship Him, enjoy Him, and trust Him. And so that's the purpose of that class. Um, that class is for anybody who is available at 10 a.m. So if you're retired, that class is for you. If you're um, a stay-at-home mom with, with kids at home, that class is for you. If you're a college student and you don't have a class but you want to come, it's 10 a.m. It's not that early. You can do it. Um, so please mark your calendars for that beginning February 11th. Well, we're going to jump into the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 4. Let me pray. Lord, please speak to us through these parables that we're going to look at this morning. Lord, we pray they would lodge deep in our minds and our hearts, and we would be different because of them. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are continuing the book of Mark. This series is called, Who is This Man? Uh, Today's title is, Kingdom Secrets Revealed. But we're answering the big question, who is this man? And we are taking a pretty quick overview of the book of Mark. So we are, we're kind of going at a pretty good clip. So at times we're going to do flyovers of sections of the book of Mark. So I want you to imagine for a moment, we're going to go in an airplane, kind of like a Jimmy Stewart airport kind of airplane, not a jet. And we're just going to fly over the rest of chapter 3 quickly. And then we're going to dip down into chapter 4 and slow down a little bit and look at these parables. But just a, a quick review or flyover or Mark chapter 3. Answering the question, who is this man? The first um, part beginning at verse 7 of chapter 3, you're going to see the crowds continue to build and people continue to flock to see who Jesus is. And many commentators believe by the time that this is happening in Mark 3, there are tens of thousands of people gathering to see Jesus. So the crowd is growing and growing by the moment because they hear this man is performing miracles. And so people literally are traveling from all over Israel, some walking over 100 miles to hear and see and meet Jesus. So they're, they're coming in great numbers. In verses seven, or 
continuing through chapter 3, we're going to see Jesus builds his team. His team is complete. He has 12 disciples, and he's continuing to spend time with them. And his training methods are both teaching and demonstrating. And so all his miracle working, he brings the disciples with. And then he'll pull them aside, and he'll carefully and slowly and patiently teach them. Answering the question, who is this man, there are some answers to that question that are not pleasant, nor are they accurate. So in verse, chapter 3, verse 22 through 30, some of the religious scribes, religious leaders, their answer to that question is, this man is a Satan demon-possessed man. He's no, lo- no, no more than one who has been filled with an evil spirit and performing miracles by the power of evil. That's not true. Jesus challenges that, but that's who they think. And then probably the, the worst naysayers that Jesus experienced is in chapter 3. This one probably cut deeper than most. And at the end of chapter 3, his own family, probably his half-brothers and sisters, are wondering what happened to their brother. See, they grew up with him in Nazareth, a small town, and now he's saying he's the Messiah, now he's doing miracles, and they think he has just lost his mind. And as the gospel story unfolds, eventually many, if not all of them, become committed followers of Christ. But at this stage, all they know is our brother who we grew up with is now saying he's the Messiah and people are coming out in droves. And they, they want to see him and they want to spend time with him. So that's the flyover of chapter 3. I'd encourage you this week to drop into chapter 3, read it slowly, ask the Lord to continue to show you new things um, in the book of Mark chapter 3. If I was going to ask a question in this room, I think I could probably divide the room in half pretty quick among Christians. Which do you prefer? A long, not long, but a serious study of God's Word? Or to see the miraculous, to see blind people healed and dead people raised? Now, some of you might say both, but most of you probably lean one side or the other. And some of us lean more towards the word-centeredness. Some of us lean more towards the miracles and the power and the deliverance ministry of Jesus. And so you picture a horse falling off. At times in my Christian life, I've fallen off both sides many times and been drug around. They're not mutually exclusive. We don't have to separate the two. The Bible does not separate the two. Jesus himself did not separate. So in the book of Mark, there are going to be times where we see these incredible miracles like we did last week. And then there are times we're going to be hearing the teaching ministry of Jesus, which is what we're going to see this week. Both are good, both are right, and both are to be pursued for us as New Testament Christians. So now we're going to land the plane, our little Jimmy Stewart-type airplane, and we're going to drop into Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at four parables, and through these parables, Jesus is going to reveal some kingdom secrets. So look at Mark chapter 1, or Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Large crowd, maybe tens of thousands, are there. Verse 1, again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd. One translation I read, rather than using the word crowd, it just says the crush. The crush of the people gathered about him. 
So that he got in a boat and he sat on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And so the, the picture is Jesus is in the boat. There's a mass of people. So the, the water must have been calm. And he's sitting down. He must have been a loud projecting voice. And he began to teach them. And he began to teach them in parables. And a parable was a, a, a teaching style where Jesus would often look at nature or, or imagine a people scenario that wasn't real. And he'd use it as a method of teaching a spiritual truth. And it was a very effective method. Now, for those of you who love to go in order of things, you're not going to like what I'm about to do. We're going to skip to verse 10, and then we're going to go back. So we're going out of order a little bit because I want you to hear how Jesus taught about parables and why he spoke in parables. And if I do a good job, it should all make sense in the end. So verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So, another, why don't you just teach us? Why are you teaching us in these stories that are a little abstract, a little confusing? Verse 11, he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they, he's quoting Isaiah here, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should, be, should turn and be forgiven. In other words, part of his teaching strategy was for those of you who have ears to hear, you're going to be able to hear, you're going to be able to learn, you're going to be able to understand these spiritual truths through parables. For those who are hardened and deaf to God's Word and blind to spiritual things, it's just going to bounce. And what Jesus often did with His disciples and the larger group of disciples, He would then pull them aside and explain the parables to them which is what he says in verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So part of Jesus' teaching strategy and ministry of spreading the good news was to speak in these parables. We're going to look at four. And... We're going to see kingdom secrets revealed. The first two parables are going to be real heavy on our human responsibility before God. What we need to do. And the second two are going to be real heavy on what God does. So as we go through the first two, if you feel weight beginning to stack on you like this is unbearable, we're going to get to the point where this is what God does. So we would encourage you. So hang in there. So the first kingdom secret, this is a familiar parable probably to many of you. This is the parable of the seed and the sower. And the secret revealed here is all about the human heart. So I have it. Cultivate the condition of your heart. Cultivate the condition of your heart. Jesus tells the parable, chapter 4, verse 3. Listen. Or you could even translate that once upon a time. They know he's going to tell something that's not true, but will have truth in it. Once upon a time, a sower went out to sow. In other words, a farmer had seed in his hand, and he's going to toss it into the field. 
He sowed, and some seed fell along the path, the hardened path that people walk on all the time. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. But since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he tells the parable. So it's a very visible, visual image. And he hasn't yet explained what the parable means, and he's about to do it. But the the main idea, and I think oftentimes when we think about this parable, we think much more about the farmer. The whole point of this parable is for us to think about the condition of the soil. And in this case, the soil is the human heart, is our heart. So we don't have to think much about the farmer or the seed, which is God's Word, the Gospel, But this is a parable of human responsibility. Look at verse 13. He's going to explain the meaning. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? What I want to say to Jesus in a respectful way, well, why don't you just tell us directly and then we all understand. But this is just part of his strategy. Verse 14. He's going to explain it. The sower sows the word. Anybody who preaches the gospel teaches God's word to, in a formal way or as a parent or as an evangelist, anyone who, who puts the word out. They're the sower. They're the farmer. And these are the ones who along the path where the word is sown. So the first, when it's on that hard path, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. In other words, The seed is put down, the word is shared, and snatched up by Satan himself. Maybe you're hearing God's word for the first time this morning or this season of your life. One of the things you should pray is, Lord, allow it to to take deep root. Allow it to sink in. Allow nothing to take it away. Oftentimes, Satan's strategies, demon strategies, are as simple as distraction and forgetfulness and causing of disinterest. Kind of like a dog is outside in the yard and all of a sudden he sees a bird and he's gone. See, that, that's at times how Satan will just distract us. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord, when you're aware of either you shared God's Word with somebody or you know somebody is hearing it for the first time, We should all be praying fervently that God would protect His Word as it's being preached and heard and that nothing would hinder and that the heart would be made soft so that the Word would take root. So that's soil number one. Number two, verse 16. And these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the Word immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on the count of the word, 
they immediately fall away. So they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but roots don't grow. Difficulty comes, persecution comes, opposition comes, and they they fail the test. See, in the early days of God awakening a Christian, God drawing someone to Himself, they are vulnerable, dangerous days. Now, if God is genuinely doing it, they are ultimately protected. But they are vulnerable. When I was drawn to the Lord as a 19-year-old, when my wife Mary was drawn to the Lord at the same time, we were very vulnerable to all kinds of false ideas about the Lord, all kinds of temptations. And I want you to think, those of you who have known the Lord for a while, as you meet men and women, we have some here this morning who are new in the faith. We want to pray for them. We want to encourage them. We want to ask the Lord to protect them and let that Word go deep and strong into their soul so that when times of persecution or opposition come, they don't fall away. I want you to think about it this way. Later this evening, we're going to have some friends over for dinner, and they have a toddler that's going to come with them. And when, when their little girl comes over to our house, um, obviously the mom and dad are going to be watching the little girl. And in our house, we haven't had toddlers for a while, so it's not as childproof as it once was. So they're going to be watching, but Mary and I are going to be watching as well. And so we're going to be way more attentive to this little girl than if she was a college student with her mom and dad. If a college student came to our house tonight, we're not watching, oh, I hope they don't choke on the pizza. We're not thinking, I hope they don't fall down the stairs. I hope they don't go through the railing that they built that's kind of fragile. We're not thinking any of those things because they're a college student. They're, they're mature. They're, they, they can take care of themselves. But when someone little comes over, even if it's not our child, we're, we're more aware. As a church, that's how we should be. As you see men and women, teens, kids coming to faith, we as a whole church family should be on the lookout for them. Should be praying for God's protection over them. That the Lord would allow what they're hearing to, to root deeply inside of themselves. As we go to youth camp this year in, in the spring, and oftentimes teens respond to the Lord. If you're aware of that, pray. Be committed to following up and praying and encouraging and protecting them. So we're in this together. And we want to approach it that way. Now ultimately, if God is at work, He's going to preserve and protect. Like I said, this is heavy on the human responsibility side. Next soil. And others are sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter and choke the word and prove it to be unfruitful. This can apply to probably every one of us in this room. The cares of the world. I like how it just says, the desire for other things. Things that come and just draw your attention away from the Lord. Affect your passion for the Lord. See, we're to continue to monitor our hearts, the state of the soil of our hearts. 
year after year as a Christian. So if your most passionate years as following Jesus are behind you, there's probably a good, good chance to look into the soil. What, what grew up? What's taking root? What's choking out the Word of God? What changes do I need to make to get my priorities in order? Lord, search me deeply. Because we all want to be like the last soil. Verse 20. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word, accept it, and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. See, our lifelong goal as Christians is to have humble hearts where we receive God's Word. And we grow, and we grow, and we grow. So, cultivate your heart with God's Word. This is how you can take care of the condition of the soil. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We can do some cultivation. Cultivate your heart with confession. If you're aware of sins and things that need to change, tell the Lord, tell others, have them pray for you. Cultivate your heart with prayer. Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't feel as passionate as I once did for you. Revive me. Change me. He will. Cultivate your heart by evaluating your priorities through the lens of Scripture. I want you to think of the last month of your life, what you've given your time and energy to. And then imagine putting that on a trajectory of the future. The next three years, five years, ten years. Where do you end up if you follow that trajectory? Is it a passion for the Lord? Or is it a slow dampening of the, by the cares and pressures and desires of the world? See, this parable is intended to hurt for our good so that we respond and we grow and we have more fruit in our lives. Next parable, kingdom secrets number two. Be doers of what you hear. This is very similar to the last one. Be doers of what you hear. Chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a lampstand? In other words, if you have a lamp, lampstand with a candle on it, we're lighting it, we put it up so that the, the light shines. We don't hide it. We don't put a cover over top of it. Verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone, same phrase, has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The whole point of this parable is pay attention to what you hear. Not so you can answer questions on a test, but so that you're your life is different because of what you hear. Every time we open God's Word, every time we hear God's Word preached, every time we listen to something on our phones or devices, one of our prayers should be, Lord, help me to hear so that I change, so that I grow, so that I'm more like You, so that I am different. See, this is just what James was talking about. We're not just to be hearers of the Word, but we're to be doers of the Word. We're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
He lived a perfect life. We trust in Him. He died for our sins. We're accepted because of that. God's Spirit then is in us and we're to passionately pursue the Lord. So there's human responsibility and there's God's work. And I think Philippians 2 captures this tension really well. Listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, Saving Grace Church, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We're to work really hard. And it's God who is at work in us. And so these two parables are to provoke us to pursue the Lord more and more. Next one. Kingdom secret number three. The kingdom of God is unstoppable in its growth. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. If you're thinking that the state of the church in America or the church in the world is in crisis and is shrinking, you need not fear. It is unstoppable. It will continue to grow. Look at Mark 4.26. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So this parable is emphasizing the seed, the power of the gospel, the power of God's word. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then full grain. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. So here's the image of this one. This should encourage every parent who's trying to train their kids to follow Jesus Christ. Every one of you is in any kind of ministry work at all where you're sharing God's word and at times it doesn't look like anything's happening. The image is you, you throw it out there. You go home, you eat dinner. You go to bed. And while you sleep, something is happening. God's word is working and growing. As I was praying about this and preparing, I thought, I really want those of you who are parents to be encouraged by this parable. Because parenting can feel like a futile effort at times. I'm uh, making more mistakes than, any, than I'm seeing the Lord work in. And I'm not sure if anything I'm doing is having an effect. And be encouraged. Your hope is in God's Word and in the Lord Himself. We want to work. We want to be faithful parents. But our hopes in what the Lord can do. I emailed David Cup yesterday. David is a member of Amplified Church, grew up in this church, but continues to this day to help our youth group uh, tremendously. So he's here two Saturdays a month. And David is a young man who is passionate for Jesus Christ. His mom and dad are right here this morning. And uh, he's in his early 20s. He's, I'm getting old. He's 26. <laughs> so my image of David is when we first started our youth group, uh, when he was probably 12 or 13 years old, and he would come into the youth group at our old building. And some kids, when teens, when you are forced to do stuff, your mom and dad make you do stuff, you come into the building and you fake it. You, you smile. Hey, Mr. Ryer, Mr. Clean, it's good to see you. And inside you, I don't want to be here. I'm just here because they made me. Well, David Cup was not a faker. 
when he came through the doors, it was very clear, I'm here for one reason. My mom and dad have made me come. And I remember teaching and seeing his elbows and his face looking at me like, this is the most boring, uninterested thing I've ever heard in my life. And so he wasn't rebellious. He just made his opinion known over and over again. And his mom and dad were faithful. They, they did what moms and dads should do. They kept bringing him, kept praying. Well, at some point, they go to sleep, get up. God's word took root. It began to grow. And to meet David now, who's 26, who is passionately serving the Lord both at Amplify and here with great joy. And when he comes, it's so ironic to me that his his heart is for teens. So when he's here on Saturday nights, he's engaging those of you who are teens. And he's excited about what God's doing in your life. See, his mom and dad did their part, but they need the Lord to do the Lord's part. And so if you're a parent and you're worried and anxious, entrust your kids to the Lord and be faithful to share God's Word. We don't know when it will spark. Sometimes it doesn't spark till they're in their 40s or 50s. But it will spark and pray that the Lord would do that. And for those of you who are, I know a number of you are really faithful in a lot of different ministries in town. But sometimes you don't see the effect. You don't see the fruit. Pray to the Lord. And as you go to bed and as you get up, expect you'll hear stories of the Lord working. Last kingdom secret. Kingdom secret number four. The kingdom of God will exponentially expand. The kingdom of God will exponentially expand. God wants His rule and reign to be across the globe. God promised to Abraham, look at the stars of the sky. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. More than you could ever count. Jesus confirms that in in verse 30. What shall we compare the kingdom of God to? Or what parable shall I use for it? Keep in mind, he's still sitting in the boat. Large crowd out there. It's like a grain of mustard seed. Maybe even had one in his pocket. Shows that they probably can't even see it from the beach. Which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So he has this little seed. So don't be discouraged. Don't, don't worry. Don't doubt about what the Lord's doing. Trust Him. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. Whether it's in your own family or ministry or this church. Put your confidence, your trust, your faith in God's power to work. God's desire to expand His kingdom. He is so much more committed to this than any of us are. And so we can trust Him. We can rest in Him. Even the Apostle Paul, as gifted as he was, as many churches that the Lord used him to start, he knew that his hope was in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, I planted, 
And if ever there was a planter, it was the Apostle Paul. He planted like crazy. He shared God's word all over the known world where he lived. Apollos watered. Apollos would come alongside and and help water what God had started. But God gave the growth. God gives the growth. Parents, God gives the growth. Those of you who work in all kinds of ministries, God gives the growth. Our call is to be faithful. Our call is to be hard workers for Jesus Christ. But God gives the growth. Verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So let's pray to God who gives the growth. For whatever ministry you're involved with, I know some of you are involved with FCA, some of you are involved with Young Life, some of you are involved with ministries all over the world that you support, pray that God would give the growth. See, we can be confident that every Bible-believing, Jesus-trusting, loving, church, Christian, ministry, God is committed to their good. God is committed to their expansion as they preach and proclaim God's Word. God gives the growth. And so we hope in Him. We trust in Him. We have a responsibility. We want to work hard. But then we want to entrust it all to the Lord. And the Lord Himself said this in Matthew 16, verse 18. He said this to Peter. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, is what Jesus said. That's true of every local church. That's true of the church universal. We hope in Him. We trust in Him. We work hard for Him. Then we go to bed, and while we're sleeping, He's still at work. He never sleeps or slumbers. He's still gathering. He's still saving. He's still drawing. He's still bringing life out of spiritually dead people. See, He's the one we follow and trust in. He's the only perfect one. And He's the one we got to always worship and always follow and always trust in. So who is this man? He's the king of his bride. He's the builder of the church. And we trust him. We follow him. Let's pray and have the band come up. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're the king. You're the hope of this local church and every church in the world. Lord, you're the great gardener. You're the one who cares and tends. And you're the one who causes growth. And because you came and ascended, we have the Holy Spirit in us and among us. And we ask for power and refreshment and strength and help. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.